Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I'm your host, Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined by my wonderful teammates from the content crew, Ryan Donovan and Ira May. Hi, y'all. Hey, how you doing? Hey, folks. How's it going? It's going pretty well. So I want to kick us off with some fun stuff. I used to go every year mm. to CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, in Las Vegas uh, when I worked as a tech reporter at The Verge. It took place this week, and a lot of fun stuff came out of it. But one that caught my eye was called The Rabbit. It's from the folks at Teenage Engineering, who, if you're listening to this podcast, you may know them. They're kind of like an artisanal gadget shop, I want to say. Like, they, they make things that they know aren't going to sell a lot. They're like not mass produced. They're sort of like labors of love, you know, whether it's a keyboard or a gaming device or whatever it may be. And so this one is sort of kind of like that company Humane. It's like an alternative to having a phone. You have a screen almost like a Tamagotchi. It's got a cute little rabbit on it and you can talk to it and it will answer back with, you know, the Gen AI smarts about any topic you want to discuss. Um, and even, I guess they said, handle a few tasks like book an Uber, look up a recipe, et cetera, et cetera. What's the advantage of this over, say, a smartphone or that pin we talked about a few weeks mm -hmm. ago? I think that there is no advantage in sort of like a base utility sense. I think it's kind of like, Maybe you want to give this to your kids so they can always like ask interesting questions, but not have a phone. Maybe you want to spend some time away from a phone. You know, mm. I increasingly feel like by the end of the day, I have kind of like eye strain and I'm like hoping to invest in some stronger blue light glasses. And then, you know, like I said, it's also kind of like a gadget for the gadget lover. Like, what's the point of having a Tamagotchi? You know, like, <laughs> you know, you, they're hoping that you'll build some maybe sentimental attachment to this little rabbit in your pocket that answers all your questions, I guess. And it's, it's a lot cheaper than a phone. I like that. People build a sentimental attachment to their phones over time, so. Is this the, uh, the pet rock for the go. AI era? <laughs> yeah, I think given Humane and given this, we're going to see a lot of little, like, Gen AI assistant in a X container. Like, you know, that's going to be in a ring. It's going to be in a pair of glasses. You're going to have a little her voice in your, <laughs> you know, ear in a lot of different ways, right? Said earlier, this, this is the new doom, right? Going to be running on a pregnancy test. Yeah, exactly. Right. Can you run this on X? <laughs> I've really gotten into a habit recently in the morning before I've had my coffee and my kids are asking me, you know, the kind of inane questions that they do. And it's like, I could try to make up the answer to this, but if you just ask ChatGPT, like this conversation can go on as long as you like <laughs> and I can have my coffee. And so, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. we're thinking about going to Iceland. They're like, how does the Aurora Borealis work? And I'm like, I could make this up, but what do I, you know, ask the Oracle. And then it's like, ooh, the sun, nice. free radicals, magnetic fields. And, yeah. you know, feels like they're learning something. I mean, that's good. It's uh, getting to learn a little something, you know. I guess it's better than than unleashing them on on the raw internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's ni nice to know yes. where the floor is. I can say that I definitively agree. Right. Aurora Borealis is just chemtrails. 
<laughs> yeah, there you go. Look into it. Hot take from Ryan. That's right. Got to get those conspiracies going. All right, I'm going to move us on to a new topic that I really enjoy. One of the interesting things that you know comes up as we discuss AI reaching these new capabilities is like, yeah, it can have a conversation with you, but can it like generate anything meaningfully new or novel? And when it comes to LLMs, I think you know the debate is out about that. But Microsoft shared a long video earlier this week where they talked about a scientific collaboration that came up with a new sort of concept for a battery that would, you know, use far less lithium, be a much more efficient battery, and in this way, be way better for both industry and for the environment. And the design, you know, the approach to this was generated by an AI that was sort of like taught, you know, hey, here's how you conceive of a novel, you know, material or a novel chemical interaction. Can you go out and do that and see what you can cook up on this? And then it, you know, iterates and just goes on and on and on. And eventually it stumbles on something pretty cool. So this I think is mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to get out of control here, Ryan, but like the idea that we can have beneficial mm-hmm. scientific discoveries, drug discovery for new medicines, you know material or design discovery to reduce pollution that seems like a real upside to ai yeah what do you think yeah no and i think folks have been using ai for these sort of things there was the uh the protein folding one where i think you would just run it on your computer and it would just fold simulate protein folding to see if anything was interesting yeah and i know i don't know how much they're using ai but folks at ibm quantum when we spoke to them they're doing a lot of material simulation in terms of chemistry. So I think yeah. AI, you know, figuring out how to, you know, implement chemical properties better. That's great. Right. Yes. This news was, as you said, attached to the Microsoft quantum team. There isn't really a lot of utility for these quantum supercomputers yet, like out in industry, but they claim, you know, it can winnow down 32 million potential inorganic Mm -hmm. compounds to 18 promising candidates in 80 hours. And that work would take human beings, you know, several years. So that's kind of a a fun way to use it. Like help Mm -hmm. us move faster in identifying promising scientific, you know. Right. And then the scientists can take those 18 or whatever and do the actual science on them. Prove it out in the real world. Right. Doing science. Do the science, as we say. Yeah. All right, Ira, why don't you bring up the next one, the Ars Technical link you shared? Yeah. So there's uh, Senate hearings going on this week centering on the impact of AI on, on journalism and I guess vice versa. So the question is, do AI companies need to pay for the training data that they use for their generative AI systems? So um, companies like OpenAI are, you know, of course, using the output of journalists in part to train their models. And so the question is, should they be paying those media outlets for for using those work in AI projects? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to step in here and give the company line, you know, which we've said in public, that if AI systems are training on, you know, data generated by humans, for example, on Stack Overflow, we would hope that, you know, we can arrange some kind of partnership or licensing agreement 
we said this in a blog many months ago, and that the you know some of the resources that the AI companies are are earning or or have at their disposal will then go back into growing our knowledge community, or in the case of you know something else, supporting mm-hmm. like good journalism. Let's say, I think that it's definitely an inflection point. Um, it'll go to the courts, and I hope they get it right because. I think they kind of got it wrong the last time around. Like it was Mm. a very painful transition for most news organizations as we entered the internet and the search age. And, you know, journalism is the fourth estate, you know, like it's important to democracy. It's important to civic health. So I hope we can get it right this time. The the first draft of history. The first draft of history. Well said. Yeah. I I mean, it's a, uh, you know, a toss up. You may need... Mm. A sort of mm-hmm. professional vetted content, that text in there that is sort of the best of the best. But on the other hand, if you're making money on a product that is essentially created, creating like derivative works on on everything, you know, probably should, you know, spread that money around, <laughs> pay the people you're you're using the data. But right. I am not a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> this is not legal advice. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And unclear, you know, with private companies and other things, how much money or if any money is really being made in in the sense of like a profit so far in this world. For sure. All right. We dove into this subject many times in the five years I've been here, 2019 to now. There's been ups and downs. I do think barring, you know, um, sort of like the immediate quick nosedive after the pandemic, the last year has seen quite a lot of layoffs across companies in the tech sector, big and small. And I don't think, if I'm making a 2024 prediction, unfortunately, that things are going to get better anytime soon because the um, you know sort of stance on what kind of business people should be running has changed from grow and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you lose money to you need to show us some profits. Mm-hmm. And that you know is not an easy transition to make. There were a bunch more layoffs this week at some very large, you know, startups that are still private, but among, you know, extremely well known. I won't name them here. And then, you know, yeah, hundreds of job cuts across, you know, engineering divisions that uh, continue at, at large tech companies. And I read something the other day, Ryan, I, I could use your take on this, but it was just like, there's a generation of engineers. I don't know how you define generation. Mm-hmm. But let's call it 10 years who came out of college, got work, got great jobs, made gobs of money, moved around from maybe one to two to three places and have never experienced a downturn. This is their first downturn. So mm. it's kind mm-hmm. of a, you know, the feeling of insecurity, you know, as opposed to I've always got 14 recruiters in my inbox on LinkedIn, you know, is a big shift, mm. I think, for young engineers who didn't go through a dot-com cycle or a 2008 cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the folks who didn't go through that Although, you know, to be honest, like this feels like a different set of layoffs. You know, I, I remember the, the dot-com boom and bust cycle, but it didn't feel like, you know, we didn't have huge companies at that point. We mm-hmm. didn't have the really big tech companies doing layoffs. And it felt like the folks who were doing layoffs were these old legacy companies, folks who had like were, you know, trying mm-hmm. to adjust, trying to pivot. Right. And now the, you know, the pivot has come for the tech companies. Mm. It's it's interesting actually to hear your perspective on on what makes things feel differently this time around because I hadn't really thought about the fact that we have so many companies that are either you know well established but sort of have that sort of 
startup energy, you know, laying a bunch of folks off and then actually, you know, startup companies too, accounting for a big percentage of those layoffs. Mm-hmm. Something I heard from, from somebody else who's, who's been on the job market, the tech job market lately is that, you know, it's no longer everybody just competing for the startup jobs or the, you know, big tech jobs. It's the same people who are competing at like both ends of that spectrum. And perhaps that's also something that we've kind of not seen before in in previous downturns, like in 2008 or with the, you know, the original kind of dot-com bust. Right. Yeah. And it, I wonder how, you know, if these are still knock-on effects of that Section 124 or 174 tax code change we were talking about a few weeks ago, where software engineering salaries now have to be amortized over five years. Right. If now... Folks are thinking mm-hmm. like, oh, we, we cut these salaries. We we can't just write them off. We can't just take them as expenses anymore. But we'll have these expenses to write off long time in the future. Yeah. I think that, you know, that is a, it sort of like adds fuel to the fire, right? Like the yeah. change in interest rates played a big role. And then that this will, that will only compound it you know, by adding extra strain on, on startups. And some of these are, you know, directly attributed to AI. I think there were some AI translators at a company to be named later that, that were laid off. Hmm. Well, uh, I said this back on the podcast many moons ago when Paul, Ford, and Sarah were my co-hosts and I talked about it with Cassidy and Ciara, and here we are again. So, you know, condolences and, and thoughts and everything out to folks in the software industry who are affected and if you want to discuss it, you know, hit us up uh, at the email or on Twitter, and we'd be happy to share your story with the community or, or yeah, just, you know, talk about some of the issues you are interested in to help you process it or get it out there in the world. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll switch to something fun for our last little goodbye. We're going to share a great link in the show notes from the blog of Dr. Moron, I hope that's his real name, who built a uh, computer... Oof out of lego and uh you know it has a little switch that can flip and flop from one to zero a reset and a set for a clock a nor gate and there's a line here at the end which i really love the point of this device if there is one is to separate out the concept and theory of computation from the digital electronic devices we most commonly associate with computing there is nothing inherently electronic about computers. It just so happens that it's much easier to design computing devices using components driven from electricity. At least that is the state of the known inventions so far. So I thought that that was a fun little way to think about the world. Yeah, I mean, computing is just a series of zeros and ones, right? And currently we store them with electrons and electricity, but yeah, if you have, you know, pins and holes, you can create a Turing complete computer right yeah and as we mentioned before you know quantum computers don't store them right like digitally anymore as a zero or a one they store them as a what like a what like a something that's it's like a zero one and both yeah i think the qubit right (laughs) yeah the qubit yeah it's interesting to see people like here's a computer in you know lego or uh, a Turing complete computer within Minecraft or something. That's another one of those where it's like they're going to create a Turing complete computer with, I think it was in the three body problem of the book, they used people. 
like the position of people mm-hmm. to create a Turing complete computer. And a qubit is like a physical thing. It's like a device that behaves as a two-state system based on, let's say, the spin of the electrons. So it almost gets back to that idea that, you know, you can use the real world as a computer if you want to. All right, everybody, that is your sci-fi far out ending for this week. Let's get (laughs) you a quick shout out to somebody great in the community. This badge was awarded one hour ago to Sin Zero. The question is how to use libraries. Oof, that's a bit broad, Mm -hmm. but it was asked 12 years ago, has been viewed 150,000 times and still clocking lots of views every single day. So congrats to Sinzero asking a great question. I'm sure many people, it seems, have had the same one. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on X at Ben Popper. You can always hit us up, podcast at Stack Overflow. If you want to come on the program or pitch us something for the blog, we're all ears. And um, if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. It helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I have the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find the blog at stackoverflow.blog and you can reach out to me on X at Arthur Donovan. My name is Ira May. I'm a senior writer at Stack Overflow also. You can find me on our blog too. You can also find me on Twitter at Ira Maybe. Thanks for listening and we will talk to you soon.